0: I heard a story recently uh, when I was, I was studying for this passage, and I heard a story uh, that, um, about a young girl who had just seen the movie Cinderella. So if she were to tell me about Cinderella, I would have no idea. Jen could tell us everything, I think, because she knows her Disney movies like no other. Um, but uh, she was, this girl, she had seen Cinderella, and she was wanting to impress her neighbor and see what she knew about the movie, too. So she was talking to her neighbor and seeing if she knew the story. And the neighbor was trying to impress her and said, I know what happened at the end. And that's how I would do it, too. It's like, I know the ending. It's the ending of every Disney movie, right? They lived happily ever after. You know, and so that's exactly how she responded. They live happily ever after. And the girl, this little seven-year-old girl replied, oh, no, they didn't. They got married. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that is, sums up, I think, what a lot of our... I <laughs> got a good, good laugh out there for a few of you. But, you know, I think that really sums up a lot of what our world views about marriage. Is that marriage isn't joyful? It might be a way to, uh, to you know like oh we two love each other all this kind of stuff. But then, like a few years in, it's kind of like eh, I'm kind of done with this. Move on to the next thing, or maybe well we'll just hang it out because we have kids together and so we'll stick together or something like that. No, marriage is God's gift. Uh, a few years ago, my wife and I was telling her that I was going to tell that story this morning, there was a couple others, I run by her, and she's like, mm, maybe not those, so okay, so I stuck with this one, but um, but she was telling me, and reminded me, and I, I, I did remember this, this tells you how long ago it was, we were playing softball together, that's a long time ago, <laughs> that had been before kids, um, like once you have kids, you're like, life's over also, but it's also a great thing too, um, you know, but he's <laughs> like, when they get a little bit older, then it's awesome, then you get to play golf with them, like I got to do this week with our kids, um, but she was reminding me, though, one time we were on this team uh, two churches ago, I guess you'd say, when I was a youth pastor. We were part of this. Uh, we just, I think we had Colson. That was it. So life was, again, not to minimize. Life was really easy at that point, and then it got a little harder as we added more kids, but um, we, were, we were on this softball team, and there was this couple that were dating, and uh, and then there was the coach and his wife. They were there, too, and and they were talking to this couple that was dating, and they were like, ah, I mean, they were, they were kind of bashing marriage, <laughs> and, and Amanda's like, Whoa. Amanda's like pipes in a little bit. It's like, no, it's great. It's wonderful, but like here's this couple who's about 15 years older than us kind of bashing marriage on this softball team, this church softball league team of ours, and, and I'm like, I'm hoping Amanda still feels that a few, <laughs> like 10 years later or so, but at the time, at least, I was, she was grateful to be married to me. I'm not 100% sure yet. No, I'm just kidding, but but I think that's our tendency, though, right? Our tendency is to view marriage as, as maybe sometimes sacred, but also to kind of view it as, as you know, it's kind of like it, it can be a drudge or it's too difficult. Why would I tie myself, right? You know, like that's what like a lot of times when you have uh, bachelor parties and those kind of things, they're giving them T-shirts and all these kind of things that kind of mock and make fun of the idea of like, man, now you're, you're going to be chained to the hip. You got know you ball and chain, all those kind of things and phrases, but the Bible's picture of marriage is much more beautiful and much more unique. But also, I recognize that when we read a passage like this in our culture today, our culture listens to this and they cringe. Our culture listens to this, but here's the reality. The culture, in an opposite way, in the, in the time it was written in the Roman Empire, also would have cringed in another way. They would have taken it like, are you serious? Is this Is how I'm supposed to treat my wife? Or Is this how I actually, like my kids, like I'm supposed to not be harsh to them? Like, I can tell them whatever I want because I'm the father figure of this home and this family. Because, again, what's unique to this culture is, I mean, they would, for generations, live in the same home and family together. Unlike our culture today, right? Like, eventually you move out and you kind of go and spread your own wings and you get away from your family and start a new family together. But in their culture, they have children and those children and those children's children all live kind of together in this one house, And so as we look at this, I want us to look at it with the lens of Scripture and saying, hey, this is God's word to us. And even if our culture goes, are you kidding me? That's not the way that we interact with women and men and children. And even as we look at next week, as it talks about masters and slaves and dealing with that next week as well. But let's read this together. It's in in Colossians chapter 3. This is really the brief version. Paul gives a much more descriptive um, uh, parallel passage in Ephesians 5, and we're going to look at that in a second. But first, looking at our passage today. Um, And so here it is, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. You know, when you hear just even that phrase, right, I think our culture all cringes. Maybe even you cringe a little bit. You're like, wait, I'm supposed to submit to my husband? Are you kidding me? You know, you might be thinking those kind of things because that's what our culture says. I mean, how dare he? I would say there's even some interpreters of Scripture, even Christians, I would say, I'd argue, and which is really sad, but would accuse Paul of being a, a misogynist here. How dare he, in our very independent culture, tell anyone to submit to another person? Sadly, many even followers of Jesus have used verses, though, like this to approve of abusive and domineering behavior. But this is not what Paul is teaching and encouraging. As b- I, I love F.F. Uh, Bruce um, and some of his commentary and diff- different, he's a great theologian, and he said this, he said, Paul does hold that there is a divine instituted hierarchy in the order of creation, and in this order the place of the wife comes next after her husband. But here's the reality of that. So like in creation, if you go back to the, uh, uh, the Genesis record, and even Paul is going to refer to this in Timothy, uh, or in Titus as well, when we looked at Titus um, a few months ago. Um, but he talks about how the man was created first, and Paul is going to reference that as well in the Titus passage, reference the order of creation. But here's what we've got to make sure we understand. And I think this is really important for our culture and for us as well today is we have to understand that Paul, what, he, what he's encouraging the wife to do, he's, con, con, he's encouraging her to submit, yes, but all of this is rooted in their identity, and look at verse 11 again, look at verse 11, so go back to verse 11, 311, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. In Galatians, Paul gives a similar description as he refers to women and men and all of these things. Here's here's what we miss in our culture. I think we can sometimes even miss this in in understanding this passage. Is that God created male and female in the image of God. So as a unique person, we are all created Equally. Like, there's not like, oh, well, man is, is now has a higher status than a female because he's just a, a male, or she's lower because she's a female. No, Paul's saying it's not about this um, higher, it, it's not about this, that like your identity, that you're lower, It's he's talking about roles, roles in the home. But I want you to see this, because as he says this, Paul also is saying, but n- and actually all of Scripture, does never suggest that the woman is inferior. I mean, think about this. I want you to turn really quickly. It's just We're in Colossians, so if you have a Bible, you can just turn back like a few pages to Philippians. And in Philippians 2, I want you to see, as Paul is describing something, I, I think this is really important for us to understand how our roles and what this looks like uh, as well. And notice in, in chapter 2, Starting in chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, this description of Jesus. And here's what he says. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Notice who Jesus is and what he does willingly, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. Notice this. I mean, Paul is, he's humbling himself by becoming, and then ultimately, as it tells us here, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, in the Trinity, again, let me give you just a quick description of the Trinity again. Trinity is, we believe there is one God expressed in three distinct persons. So each are God, each are co-equal as God. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. They're each unique, but they're all persons of the Trinity. And in the Trinity, there's also submission. Notice when Jesus came, what did He do? He submitted to the will of the Father. Now, He's equal. I mean, again, it tells us this even in this passage right here. Who in the form of God did not count equality a thing to be grasped, Rather, he humbled himself, became a servant, lowered himself, submitting to the will of the Father. You see, in a sense, this illustration of the hierarchy, even in the Trinity. Jesus is co-equal to the Father, yet is submissive to him. Furthermore, back in our passage in Colossians 3, Paul intentionally uses the word submit rather than obey. He's going to mention for children to obey your parents in the Lord. We're going to look at that in a second. Even when he's talking about masters and slaves, what does he tell the servant to do? Uh, looking at chapter 3, we'll look at this a little more detail next week, but what does he say? He says, verse 22, bondservants servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. He doesn't use that word. He intentionally uses the word submit. So the, I love this word, and you can write this down if you're taking notes. He says this, the word submit, I, I think it was a good definition by Daniel Aiken. He's the pre- president of a southeastern seminary in, uh, in Wake Forest, um, he said this, he said, he said it's a voluntary offering of oneself to another in willing support. Let me, let me say that again, because I think it's a really good definition of submission. He says, for one, it's voluntary. It's voluntary, and I think that's an important word to see. It's voluntary, it's not forceful. And also, too, another just note here, Paul is talking to, directly to the woman. This isn't the man's job to tell the woman to submit. Like, you're to submit to me. Again, this is not what Paul is after either. He's after a heart that's willing. You notice what he says. And I think, I think this definition is really good. He says, voluntary offering of oneself to another in willing support. But again, notice what Paul encourages the wife to do. He says, submit as, look at it, look at it, verse, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husband's as is fitting in the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. You see, he's rooting these statements, and we're going to see, actually the Lord is mentioned like five or six or seven times, I think, in, this just, in just these few verses, from 18 all the way down to verse 25. He's rooting it in the gospel. It's rooted in who Christ is and what he's done. And he's saying, submit and imitate your Savior. Uh, GB, GB Caird states this well I think as well he says if a wife is asked to submit it is to the husband's love not to his tyranny again I think so many people have used verses like this and others and taken them out of context to allow abuse to happen and say well God tells me to submit so I've got to submit to an abusive husband no that's not the case do I have to submit to someone who is domineering and, 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 and so demeaning and abusive, maybe physically or verbal abuse? No, that's not what Paul is saying. It comes from, ultimately, it comes from a heart of love. But here's what we're going to learn, and we're going to see this with both cases, is that we're called to do this. Not let me, let me wait for my husband to be really, really nice and kind. Then I'm going to show honor and submission to that. Make sure he's in his place. Or same thing for the husband, when we're going to see in a second, call to love your wives as Christ loved the church is the parallel passage in Ephesians 5. Then, okay, well, once my wife is doing what I expect of her, then I'll show her love. And you notice that both of these are independent of each other. And that it is a response, though, and that independence, though, comes from Christ his love for me, his example of humility. It's rooted and grounded in Christ, and so here's the question, though. How are husbands to respond? Look what he says in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Isn't that interesting? Right after saying being submissive to the wife, he calls the husband to love and also not be harsh with them. I think this is so important, another important point to grasp in this passage. The husband is to cherish and devote themselves to their growth. Look at, chapter, look at Ephesians chapter 5. So we had, Ephesians, we had looked at Philippians, now we'll go even back a little bit further um, to Ephesians 5. Starting in verse... 25, Paul says this, husbands, love your wives, notice the example, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for I mean, his calling to the husband is strong language of love. It's a sacrificial love. This isn't a, this isn't a like a romantic, oh man, I just, I love you. Like I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I think my wife's beautiful and so I'm just attracted to her. And so it's this kind of a surface love, an attractional love or even a familial love. No, what he's saying is this is, this is a sacrificial the Greek word. You know, we hear it, pastors like to throw this out all the time, this agape love. It's this depth of a love. It's a love that is sacrificial. It's a giving of yourself, of saying, this is not my body, this is not my life, this is, this, I live for another. And Paul is saying, husbands, we're to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Here's the question, do you have a nagging wife? Love her as Christ loved the church. Ladies, do you have a, a, a lazy husband? Continued, he's saying, to place yourself under him. Show him respect and love. Just because it's hard doesn't make it impossible. And here's the great part. When a husband is loving and compassionate, not seeking his own needs, but needs of another, it is a lot easier to submit to a person like that, is it not? It's a lot easier, whether you're in the workplace and dealing with someone, it's a lot easier to listen to a boss and be like, I'm willing to do that because you feel they care for you they actually care about you. It is so much easier to live in light of that, right? And this is what Paul's saying. Paul's rooting it in our love, in our submission, but he's rooting it in your relationship to Christ and who he is. He says, husbands, love, cherish, lead. I think that's important to see the leading aspect. You know, husbands, are you doing anything to lead out spiritually do you care for the emotional spiritual and physical needs of your wife if you're single are you thinking about marriage one day what what is that going to look like are you asking god to help you be the man that you should be or the woman you should be to be this kind of person paul is saying do these things love your wives as christ loved the church but i love in the in the ephesians passage how he says this and is keeping this description of of Christ and his church and him being the example of how we as husbands should love our wives. He says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water. I mean, We should be encouraging spiritual growth. We should be encouraged as husbands. We should take the responsibility to lead in this area to love and cherish. And then Paul continues in, in our verse back in Colossians three. He says this to children. He says, children, obey your parents. In everything, for this pleases the Lord. I'm not going to say too much here uh, because the kids aren't in here for one. Um, but I, I, I also too though, um, part of my desire as we continue to grow and especially as we get older, kids is to encourage um, th- also older kids being in uh, the worship service and being a part of sitting together as a family worshiping God together as a family. And so con- as we continue to grow or, and all those kind of things, I would love to see, and we're going to transition, Austin mentioned this next week, to having our, our, little, our five and up, our five-year-olds and up, starting in the worship service, and then those five to about fifth grade dismissing for, um, for children's ministry and for like a children's church and a message with their, uh, with their leader. But here the call is for children to obey. But how man? our culture, right? I mean, think about our culture, especially with transgenderism and uh, gender dysphoria and all those kind of things where parents are like, I mean, my my kid thinks that she's now a he or he's now a she or my kid. And so we we just as parents, it's like, well, it's not my it's not my job. Like they're an independent person. Paul says, no, this is children are to obey their parents. So parents, you should be leading in your home. And I want to encourage you, men especially, because here's what oftentimes we do as men. I can find myself so easily doing this, is kind of defer that to the mom. And kind of like, all right, like, let's let mom handle the discipline. Let's let mom handle the teaching and all those things. No, listen, your kids, if you're a dad in this room or you're hoping to be a dad someday, like, it is our God-given responsibility to teach our kids Yes, we do that together, and yes, a mom is, is taking care of the kids in a unique way. Listen, you want to learn how to honor and cherish your wife? You take care of the kids for a little bit. Like, you have them for a weekend. Like, I, I, I have done a couple times, and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know how many times a man and I have talked about, like, man, I think we can just switch jobs. I think, my, I think your job's a lot harder than my job is. She's like, you get to go to work. And I'm like, yep, yep, exactly. I can go to work, and you stay here with all those crazy kids, you know, and take care of them all day. Like, it's a, it is a challenge, but, like, you want to be reminded of what the challenge is, is. The challenge is to teach our children, man, but how many homes are the kids leading the parents? How many homes, is it, is it easy to just pacify behavior because it's, like, it's just easier. Man, I, I got to see this as a, high school, as a high school pastor at a previous church, and over and over again, parents, it was almost like they gave up. They gave up during the high school years. It's like, I don't know what to do. I'm tired of the conflicts. Tired of fights, tired of the arguments, tired of the complaining and groaning and arguments. And so what do they do? They eventually just say, fine, just go. They give them a phone. They let them do whatever they want with their phone. They let them go and be with their friends and do all the things they want to do because it's just easier than the constant fighting and complaining and and the difficulty of leading a child. Listen, this is what Paul's calling us to. And look what he calls us to next. So as he's saying this about the children, he noticed he goes right back to the parents. He says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I mean, this is important. He's saying, fathers, don't be harsh. Man, have you ever found yourself getting upset at your kids and you discipline, quote discipline them in anger? And that's, that's one of the big battles of my heart and disciplining my boys especially um, is And what we can do is, right, you're, it's like, for instance, here's an example, right, you're, you're in Walmart or something, you're walking, you have the kids, and and all of a sudden your kids start fighting and arguing over something, or they're wanting something, they start complaining, they're whining, like, they want something, and it becomes really difficult in the moment, and in that moment, rather than trying to, like, use it as a teachable moment, it's upsetting you because you're like, people are looking. People are starting to pay attention to us now. And so easily we can discipline our kids or punish our kids out of anger, not out of a love to correct behavior. We do it because we're like, this is embarrassing. You're embarrassing me, son. You're like, you're making us look bad. And so we can easily respond in anger. Paul's saying, don't be harsh. Here's the call, and I want to give just a couple points on this and really just give some simple application. Um, It's an area I think think that I'm extremely passionate about as as a dad and as a a pastor and and helping parents see themselves. And I want you you to see, you can write this phrase down if you want, but I want you to understand this, that parents are the primary disciple-makers of their kids. You need to see yourself as a disciple-maker of your home. I think this is interesting. Paul, you know, w- you know, when Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in, in, um, in Matthew chapter 7, in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, remember there's that childhood story that everyone's heard, probably. Most, most of us have heard this. That he says, whoever does these words of mine is like a, do you remember like a person who built their what? Their house upon the sand and then their house upon the rock. Notice that he didn't say like temple or your building or he, d- he said a home. He described a home and it being built on obeying the word of God. Here, God's given us a clear description of how we should respond. And he's telling us the home matters. Leading your family matters. And what he's saying is this, is your responsibility as a parent is to your children to be the primary disciple maker of your kids. But what do we do? We can let a school do that. Or we can let a grandparent do that. Or we can let a babysitter do that. Or we can let the church do that. We can say, well, my kids are getting, getting the Bible through church. They're in uh, kids' ministry, or you know, they're a teenager, and they go to youth group, and they meet and learn there. No, it is your responsibility as a parent to lead your children. Can I encourage you, take the time to spend time as you ki- as I mean, a lot of you are, are newly to parenting or have young kids and they're like, you know, like trying to get them to sit down and listen to you talk about the Bible is super hard. I, I mean, I do get it. But as they grow and as they get older, continue to teach them scripture. But don't here's here's one uh, just side note. Don't just teach them Bible stories just to tell them another Bible story. Here's David. He's got his stones and he kills Goliath. And you're like, did I just tell my kids that he killed Goliath. And some of you are like, you know how the rest of that story goes? You know, every childhood story does not, you know what that leaves out? David cutting Goliath's head off. You're like, you don't tell that part. You just stop there. Like, oh, he killed him and it's over. You know, the Israelites win kind of thing. But I mean, the the Bible, but what is that story even doing? Is it like, hey, like, son, you can go kill, you know, Goliaths in your life if you just put some effort into it? No, it's like, who are we? we're the, like, in that story, who are we? We're not David. We're the, we're the, we're the, we're the, the the Israelite army scared to death of Goliath, and we need a redeemer. We need a rescuer like David, who is Christ. Like, we get to see the pictures of Christ in the Old Testament stories. So, show your kids the gospel. Teach them the gospel. So, here's what I would encourage you. Pray together, not just at meals. Pray together as a family at night. Maybe sing a song together. You know, maybe it's a worship song. You're like, I am a terrible singer. No way. Okay, we'll play. YouTube has thousands of children's songs that you can sing. I mean, hundreds, I mean, at least hundreds. (laughs) Like, I mean, who knows how many. You can just let it play and you sing along. Have, just have intentional time leading your kids in their walk with Christ. You are the primary disciple maker of your kids. Another aspect, and I think a simple thing that we can take away from this passage as a parent is this. Parents should discipline their children. Not only are you the primary disciple maker of your kids, you are, you should be disciplining your, your children. You know, I was saying this earlier, like it is your responsibility as a parent to discipline your kids. Now you have to be careful here, as, as what he's warning here, he says fathers don't provoke your children unless they become discouraged. Don't be harsh with them. Be kind, be gracious, be guiding, be leading, and disciplined. The Bible tells us that God disciplines those he loves. I think I've said this several times. But my, mom, my mom over the years said, man, be thankful you keep getting caught. I mean, I got caught all the time. I would like tell on myself, like, what have I just done? I'd tell myself, like, oh, oops, just let slip. And my mom would remind me of this verse over and over again. God disciplines those he loves. That, listen, if you're getting caught in your sin or it's been exposed, be thankful God is pursuing you and he's disciplining you. It hurts. It's painful. Um, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Like, but what happens when someone's so nice to you and they just say, oh, you're so great, you're wonderful. I mean, they're not doing you any good. A friend is going to speak and that hurts sometimes. It's painful, but it's, it's helping to discipline. And as a parent, you've got to take that responsibility. But too, too often, parents want to be a friend to their kids and not just a parent. Parents should discipline their kids. And finally, this, and this is what he's saying here in this, even this passage, parents should encourage their children. Be an encourager. Be their biggest fan. Be their supporter. Be there to encourage them. When they fail, one of the best things I've heard, I think it was uh, Augustine who said this first. I'm sure there's been many others over the years who've said this because I've heard it um, many times. But one of the best things that you can do as a parent is repent when you fail. Ask forgiveness often. Man, it was a time just this past week where I I had uh, said something I shouldn't have said and, and got upset with one of the kids. And what do I have to do? I go, I go to them and ask for their forgiveness. Or sometimes when it's been a long day and it's like, you know, everyone's going crazy and you're like yelling for kids to stop and you're getting upset with them. Again, not disciplining out of love, but discipling out of anger. Go to them. Ask for their forgiveness. Be an encourager. Be there for them. mean, I'm so thankful for my father. He was there for everything <laughs> in my life. He was always there. Um, Every event, everything that I was a part of, he made it a priority uh, to be at. And I know I'm sure he had to adjust his schedule and miss a certain thing to be there. And I'm not saying you have to be literally at everything, but be there to be an encouragement to them. And here's just a couple of really practical things is this. Laugh together. Have fun. One of the things that I'm missing in a lot of homes is just fun. Just have fun together. Don't, don't get caught up in just sitting around and you're like exhausted from your week and those kind of things. Have fun together laugh together, pray together, read God's Word together, um, and just spend time together. And as you do that, you do that in Christ. This is what we've been seeing in this whole book, that we everything, if you look back at what we looked at last week, verse 17, I want to end with this. He says this, and in, in whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, even in your parenting. Even in your love of your spouse, as a wife, as you lovingly and willingly submit to his leadership in the home, as a husband loves their wife, as Christ loved the church, as parents and and kids are obedient to their children, and as fathers and mothers, as they discipline and train and lead and parent their kids, we do all of this in Christ. You see, how are you going to be a better husband First, be a better follower of Jesus. How are you going to be a better wife? Be a better follower of Jesus. How are you going to be a better kid? Be a better follower of Jesus. Follow Jesus and that will lead and it will change you and it will help you to be the person that you should be. Here's what, here's what I want to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close here and we're going to sing uh, one song together. But um, we, we. I, I want to just encourage this. Uh, something that was really cool, I think that um, in um, Amanda's family, and this would be Austin as well, is um, they had this thing called pajama nights, and uh, and so every so often, I think in their homes they would scare them with the uh, fire alarm. Um, we haven't done that one. I'd want to like teach them. Okay, the fire alarm is only like run for danger. Um, but <laughs> but uh, but we j- you know we'll, we just want to have fun together and, and, and surprise them sometimes, like they love ice cream, they love donuts, those kind of things, or sometimes maybe go to Walmart and be like, here, you have five dollars to buy something uh, from the, from the aisle or something like that, and we would just, it was something neat that we just started implementing in our family as well, I think that's pretty cool to see from generation to generation of that, but just a way to just spend time, intentional time together, so if I can give you any, any takeaways, one with this, if you've never started this, doing this, for one, personally, I would say, Spend time in God's Word on a daily basis. And as a parent, I would say, and even if you're just, if you're not even have kids yet, as a couple, spend time in God's Word together. But as a family, have family devotions. So here's what I would encourage you, at least once a week, at least once a week, have something called like a a family night. Make that a special thing, like every, uh, every Wednesday or every, whatever, whatever works in your schedule. Maybe that's Friday nights. Maybe it's where, you know, we make pizzas together as a family, and we're going to um, do this together, and we're going to play a board game together, or we're going to watch a movie this week. But, like, make it an intentional time of leading in your home. And we wanted to just kind of give you an opportunity to do that this week. So on your way out to th- uh, uh, this morning, we want you to, I mean, for couples, if you're, I think we have enough for, like, each kind of unit, um, Today, But on that back table is like a like a five dollar like prime, um, a prime video uh, code for you to use to watch a, a movie and then some popcorn and some candy. Just something to just like, hey, like try doing this this week. Just have a fun movie night or something. Maybe as a couple, you're going to just watch a movie together and spend some time together. But we just want you to have fun together and see yourself as the primary disciple maker of your family. So let me pray. Father, we love you. Uh, we just want to thank you and stop and just thank you so much for Christ. Thank you that you are uh, more than enough for us. Uh, God, you are the the giver of all good things. You are um, our sustainer, our friend. You are a father as we were looking at even earlier. You're a father to the fatherless, a defender of the weak. You're there for the widow. You're there for the orphan you're there for us in our biggest needs and so father i pray though that we would uh, be men and women who pursue holiness that we would pursue uh, christ in our home that you would be the center of our home that even as it says in our past as is fitting in the lord to do these things that pleases the lord god help us to do all of these things because of Christ, not to do these things because out of just a duty to do these things, but out of a, a love for us that you have shown to us that we then would turn and be loving and kind and, and patient and gentle with one another. Help us to have fun together. Help us to enjoy this life that you have given us, to do that in relationship. I thank you for the families in our church. I pray their blessings on, pray your pray your blessings on their lives and on their homes. There's some that are Pregnant with another on the way, we pray your blessing and protection on their pregnancies. And as they, um, as many in in our church are so young, we pray for their salvation. Pray that they would put their faith in Christ and that we as parents would see that as our primary responsibility is to train them uh, in the Lord. And so help us. We need your help. We need your grace. We need your goodness uh, to us. And thank you for your kindness that you discipline those you love. And so help us in all these things we ask in your son's name.